That little uh, sermon bumper seems very appropriate after this week, right? <laughs> With all the storms and the rain. In fact, uh, someone told me this morning, uh, you should have preached on Noah and the flood this week. Would have been the perfect week. Uh, but thanks for those of you that are here for being here. You've braved the rain. And those of you that didn't brave the rain and joining us online, uh, welcome to you as well. Um, this morning, uh, uh, or this past week, I, I came across a website that I thought was kind of an interesting website. It's called lifehacks.org. Lifehacks.org. They explain that a life hack is a strategy or a technique to make you more efficient in your life. I'm like, this is my website. I love this because I'm all about trying to be fast. In fact, most of the time I'm fast and I don't even know I'm fast. I eat fast, I shower fast, I walk fast. And uh, Chelsea says, why are you walking so fast? I don't know, I just walk fast. That's just the way I am. So I was on this website and, uh, and it was, I came across all kinds of interesting uh, articles about being fast and efficient, and it talks about how to stay motivated, how to not be distracted, how to sleep better because you have more energy. But the article that caught my attention was, uh, it came with the title, Seven Reasons Why Generous People Are More Successful. Generous people are more successful. I, I, I'll be honest, I never put those two to, together, but they gave reasons why people that are generous tend to be more successful in life. So I'll, I'll read through these real quick, just because you might be curious. Generous people, the article says, are happy people. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that this morning, but makes sense. You don't usually see a grumpy, generous person. Generous people are happy people. Generous people are more relaxed. And the article explains that greed makes you tense. But generosity makes you more relaxed. Generous people are willing to work hard. That was number three. Number four is generous people are kind people. Kind of goes hand in hand. Generosity and kindness are obviously related. Generous people have better relationships. The, uh, those that are generous, you, you, that, that's, that seems uh, intuitive that they would have stronger friendships. Number six is generous people are confident people. And the article explains that insecurity comes with greed, but generosity breeds confidence. And then the last one, number seven, and this one uh, caught my attention, generous people are free people. So that one, that one maybe takes a little explanation. Let me, let me uh, flesh that out a bit, and that applies to our sermon today. The article says that greed and selfishness, and, and it wasn't a Christian article, so I'll just add a biblical phrase, the love of money, imprison us. They keep us from the, a freedom within our, within our hearts. But generosity breaks those chains. In fact, this uh, is going to be at the core of today's message. Today's message is entitled, Set Free to Give Generously. And I really believe that, that this idea of that, that all these things that we think of that hold us back in terms of our generosity, things of anxiety or, or fear of the unknown or, or greed or selfishness or self-centeredness, those, are all, those all can act like, like slaves in our lives if we use the language of this last song that we, we just sang. But God sets us free. 
He sets us free to be generous. And, and he sets us free to experience the goodness of the kingdom that comes with generous giving. And so today I want to talk about being a generous giver, not just because it leads to earthly success like the article was talking about, but because it leads to spiritual success. When we grow in our faith, we're going to become more generous in our giving. In fact, as we grow in uh, becoming more generous in in our giving, we're going to become more like God because God is a generous giver, right? When you think of all that you have good in your life, it comes Uh, from God. James 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Everything that we have good comes from God. God is generous. He's a giver at his core. The most famous verse of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave. Our God is a a giver. And so today we want to talk about how when we uh, grow in our faith, we grow in generosity. It sets us on a good path, a path to free us from greed, selfishness, materialism, and it frees us to live in joy and peace and trust. Let's ask the Lord to be our teacher now. Father God, we come before you, and we just ask that you would come and meet with us now and speak to us. We pray that you would open up your word. God, Help it not to be my words. Help it to be a word from you. And uh, God, even as we talk, as we think about this idea of generous giving, I pray that you would open up the, the, the spiritual eyes of our mind to help us see that, that you are a generous giver. And really, our generous giving is response, in response to who you are and how you have revealed yourself to us. And so I commit this sermon to you, and we pray that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text for this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 15. So pull out your Bibles, take out your device, however you want to look it up, but open up to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, and as you turn there, I'll give you some background information. 2 Corinthians is obviously the second letter to the church in Corinth in the New Testament. Paul's the author of both, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And uh, 1 Corinthians is, is crazy. I mean, you read 1 Corinthians, this is, the church in Corinth was a messed up church with a capital M and a capital U. Uh, this church is really screwed up. Okay, so I just took uh, down a couple of, there's a bunch of divisions in the church in Corinth. There's sexual immorality in the church. Some people, when they gather for the Lord's Supper, are drinking so much of the wine that they get drunk at communion. And then there's others that don't have anything because they've uh, the first drank it all. There's chaos in the worship service. Everybody's speaking all at once. If you ever get frustrated with your church and think, man, my church has so many problems, just read 1 Corinthians You'll love your church again. This, is a t- this church is all messed up and screwed up. But by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, they seem to have made some progress. Not quite as many rebukes. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, it seems that Paul is teaching them some of the deeper things of the kingdom. How they can really experience all the blessings that God has for them. And part of that is what we get here in 2 Corinthians 9, Verses, 16, verses 6 through 15, he teaches us 
about generous giving. uh, Starting at verse 6, it says, Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's my favorite line in the whole passage. We'll come back to that at the end. But God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, you having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on, on every occasion. And through, your generos- and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. Because of of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. And then he ends on this high note, this exclamation point sentence. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The indescribable gift here is the opportunity to give. This is a, this is a gift from the Lord that we have the opportunity to be generous givers. We have the opportunity to, to be blessed in, in giving to others. In fact, in this passage, uh, I see at least five reasons why we should give generously. There's more verses than I usually try to cover on a Sunday morning, so we have to pick and choose. So I got five, five points. You got a five-point sermon today. Five reasons why you should generously give. Number one, generous, gen, generous giving is an act of worship. Amanda already highlighted that, but that really is, is the truth, that when we give, we are giving in response to what God has given to us. Did you know that worship is always responsive? When we gather to sing, we're singing praises back to God for how he has revealed himself to us, right? When we gather to worship, we pray prayers of praise. And what we are doing is is we are telling God who he is based on what he has told us about himself and how he has shown himself to us. When I stand up here and preach, or whoever the preacher is, that is an act of worship. Why? Because we're proclaiming the goodness of God. And when we uh, take our offering, that is an act of worship. Because it's responsive. We're giving because God has first given to us. In verse 12, uh, it talks about how this is an expression of give, of of worship. This service of giving is an overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So when we gather together in this quote-unquote worship service, everything we say and do here is meant to be an act of worship. 
In fact, that more than anything is the reason we're passing the offering bags again, right? Because we want to just highlight that we're not just asking you to uh, give your money online or whatever just for the sake of filling the, filling the bank account. No, this is an opportunity for us to worship. We want to give because God has been so generous to us. It's a responsive act. Now, as we give in the worship service, some of you may think, I don't really want to go back to bringing my offering and putting it in the bag. I got... I got real good at giving online. In fact, I got an automatic bill pay. I give every week that way, or I mail my check or whatever. We'll still have all those ways, and that's fine. In fact, I think it's to your benefit to continue to uh, give in those ways because when the offering bag is passed, you're not fumbling through your purse looking for your check. You're not trying to dig around. Where did I put that thing? Was it in my Bible? Where, where is that? No, now your attention can be 100% on the Lord, as it should be. And, you, and when the bag comes your way, you can just simply let it go. You're not giving to be seen by anyone anyway, right? Jesus is pretty clear on that. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. We, we give in, in secret, and you can use this as an opportunity for worship. Thank you, God, that you've given so much to me. I just give back to you uh, in response because you've been so generous to me. You see, the first reason that we want to give is because it's an act of worship. The second reason that we give, generous giving, makes you a better person. When you give generously, it grows your character. It transforms your heart. You, you become a better person. You're becoming like God. It's helping you grow spiritually. A few years ago, and I don't remember what motivated me to do this, but uh, I decided I was going to stop drinking soda. Now, I'm from the Midwest, so I call it pop. Uh, but to accommodate you here, uh, these, all, all of us now as Californians, I'll say soda. I decided I'm not going to drink soda anymore. And, uh, and I didn't drink soda for like nine months. And then for some reason, someone gave me a can of Pepsi or something, and I took a sip of that, and I was like, oh, jeez, what is this stuff? I can't believe I used to like this stuff. It tasted so gross. Like, oh, man, this is so sweet. How could, I, how could I enjoy this? The carbonation is just repulsive to me. Now, I began to drink it a little bit again, and then all of a sudden I had cravings for soda again. But, for, but when I stopped drinking it, it's almost like my taste buds had changed. I didn't crave it anymore. When I started drinking it again, then I started craving it again. When we give generously, it's almost like we're changing our taste buds. All of a sudden, when we give generously, uh, our, our desire for all the material things in the world just kind of begins to fade away. It begins to make us so that we don't desire just to hoard and to keep everything to ourselves, but now our heart's desire is to be a blessing to others. You see, it changes us from the inside out. In this passage, it talks about here in, let me find the verse, in uh, verse 11, it says, you will be enriched. You'll grow. You'll become better. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. In other words, it'll just start flowing out of you. 
It'll give an opportunity at some occasion, and you'll be almost surprised. You just give your money, or you give your time, or, or you give your energy, because you've become a different person. You become a generous person. Giving like that, generous giving like this, has, a, has the benefit of making us into a better person. So let me flesh this out. I've got six ways the movement that happens, how God changes our spiritual taste buds. First of all, it moves us from having a love of money and material things to love others and God. When we give generously, it, it moves us from loving money and material things to loving God and others. It moves us from, I'm going to go through these quick, so keep me going. <laughs> it moves us from self-centeredness, where we're constantly just uh, seeking to take care of our own needs, to others-centeredness. It moves us from being greedy, wanting to hoard and get uh, things for ourselves. It moves us to being generous. It moves us from envy. When, we, uh, when, we're, when we're not in the habit of giving, we, we have a tendency to, to be envious. Oh, I just wish I had more. Or I wish I had what that person has. No, it moves us from, envy, from being envious to being thankful. Thank you, God, that for what I do have. In fact, I have more than what I need. I have enough to give away. It moves us from being sad or depressed. I've noticed that people that are very concerned with their finances, that's what their, their finances, that's what their focus is on. It leads to being sad or depressed. It moves us to being joyful, to being cheerful, as this passage says. And it moves us from being anxious. How am I going to take care of my needs? Where is this going to come from? To trusting the Lord. Because God proves that he can provide for us. You see, this is a wonderful thing, that, that generous giving changes us into being a better person. Now, that doesn't happen just like that. It took me nine months for my soda taste buds to change. And it takes a while for our giving taste buds to change as well. In fact, that's the reason why uh, we as a church advocate for uh, systematic, regular giving. In fact, it's not just a concept that we've come back. This goes back all the way to, to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God commanded that the Israelites tithe. Now, the, now a tithe is literally a, a Hebrew word that means 10%. A tithe is 10% of your gross income. That's, that's technically what a tithe is. In the Old Testament, God told the Israelites to tithe not because he needed their money. As it says in the Old Testament, he's got cattle on a thousand hills. God is rich uh, beyond our wildest dreams. God to uh, told them to tithe for their own good because he wanted them to not uh, become self-reliant. He wanted them to learn to trust in him. That He wanted them to see that he would provide for their needs that he would take care of them. He wanted them to be a blessing to the nations as, as God commanded the Israelites to be. And so as a church, we advocate for a practice of a tithe. Now someone may want to stand up and say, no, 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 we're, we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. We don't have to tithe. Uh, forget that. Well, I'll say three things. And this is a much more than, we could say a whole lot more than that. But first of all, I would say, if, if that's what we are thinking, that, that one, uh, the New Testament uh, Christians practice a tithe. So it doesn't necessarily pass away with the Old Testament law. 
Two is, it's for your good. No one's twisting your arm. No one's going to knock on your door if you don't tithe. We put this forward as an opportunity. It's a blessing for you to grow in all those things on that list, for you to become more joyful and more thankful and more trusting in the Lord, to become less self-centered and more others-centered. It's a blessing. It's a gift. And then the third thing I would say is, Jesus never said that the Old Testament law had passed away. In fact, if anything, Jesus said, if you want to live in my kingdom, you're going to seek to understand why the law was originally given and then go above and beyond it. Now, why was the Old Testament law, what what is the Old Testament law based on? It's based on the character of God, right? Every commandment that God gives is based on who he is. You don't lie because God is a God of truth. You don't, uh, you don't, Uh, commit adultery because God is a God of purity. And when Jesus comes, he says, not a jot or a tittle will pass away in the Sermon on the Mount, but he says, it's going to go above and beyond. You've heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, do not even be angry at your brother or sister. In other words, above and beyond. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say to you, do not even lust after a woman in your heart, or you've committed adultery with her already in in your heart. And, it, and taking that principle, the tithe is the minimum. It's the baseline. It's the starting point. Now, some of you, I know, have given well beyond the tithe for years. And uh, I don't know who you are because I don't check giving records, but I just know some of you have been very, very, very generous through the years. And uh, I have a feeling that if you were put on the spot and someone who knew what you gave and it, it is generous, if you were to come up here you, and, and give a testimony for how you've given through the years, you would say, it's been a blessing. I'd do it all over again because it's, because it's enriched my life. In fact, I really want to, as we talk about this, I really want this to feel like not a twisting of the arm, but an opportunity to walk into the goodness of God more and more. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to God because it's an act of worship. It's a blessing to you because you grow in your faith. And it's a blessing to others because we can share the love of God with them. And that brings us to our third point. The third point is that generous giving advances the work of God. Generous giving advances God's work. We give because, practically speaking, the work of God requires funding, right? And uh, we want that work to be done. Verses 9 and 10 say, They freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. As Christians, we're farmers. We're in the business of sowing gospel seed and reaping a harvest of righteousness. And that's what we are about as a church. Now, you can give to all kinds of things to do what this says, to advance God's work. You can give to community uh, projects. You can give to national causes. You can give to the person on the street. You can give to parachurch informa- uh, parachurch ministries. But I really believe that the first place you should give, the first fruits of your, your gift, should go to the local church. 
And in this case, to West Covina Christian Church. Now, now why do I say that? Because I believe that God, in his infinite wisdom, uses local individual congregations in special ways to carry out his work. It's just the way that God has organized his kingdom. He loves the, the, the churches that meet here and all over the world. And he chooses to use, our church, use those churches in special ways. In fact, I want to just emphasize it one more time. God has ordained the church along with the family. Those are the two most important groups. Along with the family to be his main vessels for work in the world. So that's where your priority should be. To your family and to the local church. And I encourage you to give in all these other ways as well. But that's where the first fruits are. Now, I believe that someday we will be blessed to stand in heaven and we will be surprised at how many people come up to us and say, thank you for giving to West Covina Christian Church. I believe that because uh, I believe that God is using us in, in, in wonderful ways. We have a, we're not a perfect church by any means, but we have a lot to be proud of. In fact, as I look out on this congregation, I see many faces of people that have told me within the last few months, I love the Lord more now than I have in my whole life. And that warms my heart because I just want to be a part of a church, and we are a part of a church that's doing wonderful gospel work. I believe we'll have people in heaven that'll come up to us and say, thank you for giving to that church because I was down and out in my life, and somehow the Lord brought me through the doors, and I was built up by the worship and the preaching of the word and by someone that gave me a friendly handshake and a smile and I had a lunch afterwards with someone and it changed my life and there's going to be someone that says I came to the youth ministry or to the children's ministry I came to vacation bible school and I gave my heart to Jesus so thank you for supporting the work of the church someone from a far off land is going to say thank you for giving because they supported that missionary to India or Japan or to Turkey or wherever. And I received Christ because of that missionary. Thank you for giving because I was in a bad spot as a young person. I was headed down the wrong path and I got involved in the church's education center and it set me in a new direction. You see, I, I look forward to the day when we gather in heaven and there will be people there and I'll be one of them who will stand up and say, thank you to giving to West Covina Christian Church because it changed my life. And I know that there are many here that would say this church has been a blessing. It is a blessing to give. When Jesus told us to store up treasures in heaven, this is what he was talking about. He said, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and, or, uh, and, and thieves do not break in and steal. When we invest in the lives of those who will one day be in heaven, that's how we store up treasures in heaven. And I look forward to that day. So those are the first three points. The last two I'll go through uh, fairly quickly, but I can't skip over them. They're wonderful. Generous giving teaches you that God will provide. It teaches you that God will provide. Verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, having all that you need, not necessarily all you want, 
Not, a, not necessarily everything you desire, not everything you see on the commercial or in the magazine. God will give you everything you need, and you will abound in every good work. You know, my challenge for you is this week to, to go before the Lord and to, to put it before him. Lord God, what do you want me to give? And, uh, and this passage talks about to give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion, but give what you have decided in your heart to give. Go before the Lord and ask, God, what do you want me to give? And he'll, he'll lay it on your heart. Now, sometimes I recognize times are tight. And maybe it is true, like a, a 10% tithe would put you under. And you're like, I can't do that. But but you just get right, you just get before the Lord and, uh, and, and God will direct you. I recognize that there are difficult times. In fact, when, when Chelsea and I first got married, uh, we were challenged by our premarital counselors to uh, make out a budget. They said one of the biggest things that leads to conflict in marriage is money. And so work up a budget for the two of you together. And so we did that. I still have that budget written down on a piece of paper. Every time I do premarital counseling, I do the same thing with that couple. I say, make out a budget, and, uh, and I pull out. I have it tucked away in my folder for my notes for premarital counseling, and I pull it out. I don't show them, but it's always interesting for me to re- uh, reminisce, and I look at what, uh, where we were at when we first got married. We lived on peanuts. I mean, we had, we had nothing. Uh, I was pastoring a church that had 50 people on Christmas Day and a lot less than that the rest of the year. Uh, Chelsea was still going to school full-time. We had, virtu- we, we had no money. And yet, I look back on that, and God blessed us so much. We paid off our college loans during those years. We paid off our car loans. We got out of debt in like 18 months. I, and I, I'm like, how in the world did we do that? It was all God. And when I look at that budget, I look at the giving column, I'm like, I don't think we realized that at the time we were given a lot of our percentage-wise of our income. And God blessed it. And it was wonderful. It leads me, and so that's my challenge uh, for you today, is to trust in the Lord. I think giving it really sometimes boils down to, do I trust God that he will provide for me and and for my family? Now, I'm not telling you to be foolish. If you get paid $100 and write a check for $200 next week, uh, that's not going to be sustainable for very long. You you be a wise steward, and, and, uh, and the Lord will direct you. But the last thing I would point out from this passage, and this is point number five, generous giving, highlights the fact that you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. You give and give and give, and God will always give you more in return. Verse 15 says, Thanks be to God for the indescribable gift. God's gifts are indescribable. They're generous. They're outlandish. They're up above and beyond. They're over the top. God gives us far more than what we could ever uh, give to him. Now, some of how he uh, gives us back is not always uh, with uh, more money. I'm not like the TV preacher that says, if you send me $100, you'll, be, you'll get 200 in the bank this week. No, uh, some, oftentimes God's gifts are much more precious than dollars and diamonds. 
God's gifts come with spiritual blessings, with joy and peace and gratitude and all of the things that we're talking about this morning. You can't outgive God. You give generously to him, and he'll not only take care of all your needs, he'll give you more above and beyond in your heart, and it'll be a blessing. He'll bless your family. He'll bless your kids. He'll, he'll bless uh, all the things in your life. Not that you won't have difficulties, but he'll take care of your inner needs. He'll, he'll, he'll watch over your heart. So if that's the case, put God to the test. Test him out. There's one place in all the Bible that challenges us to test God. Did you know that? One place. It says, don't test the Lord, but in Malachi 3.10, it gives us a test. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the temple of God, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. There it is. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room to, enough to store it. God, you can't outgive God. The end of this year, if you give generously and systematically and, and sacrificially and all those things at the end of on December 31st, 2023, I guarantee you, you'll look back on this past year and you'll say, I'm still in debt to God. God doesn't owe me anything. You can't outgive God. He lavishes his grace and his mercy upon us. So these are the reasons why you should give. Generous giving is an act of worship. Generous giving makes you a better person. Generous giving advances God's work. Generous giving teaches you that God will provide. And generous giving highlights the fact that you can't outgive God. So five really good reasons to be a generous giver. So, in conclusion, come back to the, my favorite part, God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word for cheerful is hilarion obviously from which we get our word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Just joy that's overflowing. You, you give with a belly laugh. You know, it just brings you so much uh, joy. Now, what I find to be interesting about this verse is it seems to have a secular uh, nature to it. That when we give to God, that he loves that. That gives him joy. He is cheered when we give. And when, uh, and when he is cheered, he gives more to us. And that fills our hearts with cheerfulness. And we become cheerful givers in which we give more and more. And it goes around and around. And it's a whole big circle of giving and joy and cheer. God is cheered. We are cheered. Those that we are able to bless, they're cheered. And it's a blessing all around. And so that's the sermon today. I really hope that we see this as an opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God in a way that blesses us. I know that when, you, when we give a sermon on giving, that's dangerous ground. That's thin ice. In fact, I stood up, I told this story before, I think, but one time in my previous church, I stood up and said, today I'm going to give you a sermon on giving. And the woman in the front row goes, ah! threw her hands up. I didn't even say anything. I don't want to hear a sermon on giving. But man, I hope that today, the way that we've talked about it, you're like, man, that's good stuff. I love it. Because it's not like we're uh, asking for, uh, the, to give because the church is in dire straits. 
In fact, we just ended the calendar year and the church did quite well financially. We ran in the black. It's not like we're in a, a difficult spot. We give it as an opportunity to be blessed by God, to bless God, to be used by him, to be a blessing to others. And so God loves a cheerful giver. And my heart and prayer for all of us is that we would be cheerful givers, and that means that we would be generous givers, and that God would cause us to find a lot of joy in giving those gifts. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, that's, that's your sermon. And uh, so I just pray that whatever you would have for us, that you'd help us to now apply it to our lives. And um, God, I, I know the nature of our church. We're not going to hound anyone to give ever. And, uh, but we, we do want to give people the opportunity to worship and to serve and to, and to be blessed by you and to, and to have our own hearts changed. So I pray for each person in this room. I pray for myself included and, and each person in each family. I pray that this week we'd have the opportunity to just get alone with you for 20 minutes and wrestle with what would you have us to give. And God, I know that as we do, we will be blessed. We thank you that you are a generous giver, that you've given us life and salvation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.